there are a lot of podcasts on the internet that are predictable. Talking about the same things on every show. We do things a little different here. This is the Pyro Factor. The, the Pyro Factor. From conspiracy theories to sports to news, politics, current events. If it's happening, Michael is talking about it. Real, Real raw, raw, and proudly controversial. Let's do the damn thing. This is the Pyro Factor. And now your host, Michael Grace. Hey, welcome everybody to the Pyro Factor. Today's episode is Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Hope you're going to enjoy it. We're going to look at a couple different things. We're going to look at Denver International Airport. We're going to look at some fascinating facts about New York City's Grand Central Station. And we're going to talk about John DeLorean. So sit back and I hope you guys enjoy the show today. It should be a good one. But first, planes. We're talking about Denver International Airport. Myths and legends behind this famous place. From lizard people and space aliens to secret underground bunkers and a cursed horse. Denver International Airport has been a magnet for years. For myths and legends since it's opened in 1995. We're going to talk about a few of those. For as much time as we have, because we have two other topics. But the important one, I think, that I like is secret societies. Only because I belong to a secret society. It's called the Clampers. And we have an attachment to the Freemasons. And this whole thing I'm going to talk about right now has a little bit of a, a touch of it in it. Secret societies. They say one of the most pervasive legends about the airport is that it was built by members of a secret society. Now, which secret society? They don't really know. And, of course, it depends on who you ask. But believers variously point to the Freemasons. They're one of the world's oldest secular fraternal organizations. And they date back to the stonemason lodges of the 14th century. The Illuminati a short-lived Enlightenment era secret society that some insist is actually still active. They say the Illuminati is attached with the Denver airport or the New World Order. And they're an alleged cabal of global elites conspiring to overthrow existing governments and somehow rule the fucking world. Or it could be all of the above. Since the three groups are often said to be linked, but one of the more persuasive pieces of evidence for this theory is a dedication capstone at the airport's south entrance dated March 19, 1994. Sealed beneath the stone is a time capsule containing messages and memorabilia to the people of Colorado in 20. 94. I guess that's when they are supposedly supposed to dig it up. The granite marker, it depicts the square 
and compasses symbol of the Freemasons and the names of two Grand Lodges and their Grand Masters. While some have made much of this, a lot of people have made much of this, the airport officials, they're just basically saying it's only evidence of the generosity of the local Masonic lodges that crafted and laid the stone for us. I mean, that's, I mean, after all, that is what stonemasons do, and that's their, their point of view. We just had these people make these stones for us. We had them carve them. But people are saying that there's stories behind it. The capstone also makes mention of a group called the New World Airport Commission, which is a little bit odd because unlike the Freemasons, this group doesn't actually exist. There is no New World Airport Commission, which makes an inclusion a little tougher to explain. As some like to point out, if you do some research, the name is suspiciously close to that of the so-called New World Order. But according to uh, some kind of a Westward article written in 2007, I think it was 2007 or 8, the name is likely a reference, they say, to some Czech composer. I can't even pronounce his name, but something about the New World Symphony. And that the New World Airport Commission was simply a temporary commission created to arrange the new airport's opening festivities. So they hired this company to take care of this grand opening for Denver Airport called the New World Airport Commission. And the time capsule, here we go back to the time capsule, it's supposedly filled with coins, a baseball card from Coors Field, a pair of former Denver Mayor Wellington Webb's sneakers. Guess during his sneaker campaign, when he was campaigning door-to-door throughout the city, he was wearing a pair of these sneakers, and so... Because he campaigned in them, they decided to bury him into this fucking time capsule because they're worth something. I guess there's a few Black Hawk casino tokens, some other memorabilia. I mean, we're going to have to wait until, what was the year? Forgot what I was just saying earlier about that. But we're going to have to wait quite a while to find out what the fuck's inside of all this stuff. Right? Anyways, 2094. 2094, my... Producer just told me, 2094, we got to wait. Anyways, <sighs> there people try to get into this damn time capsule. They've tried. They've tried to break into it. One popular theory is that the Braille uh, tablet above the dedication stone is actually a keypad. And then if you touch the raised dots in the correct sequence, you'll be able to open the time capsule. And there's even been some current Masons who seem to to buy into this myth or theory. One airport employee says she actually heard reports of Masons visiting the capstone and trying to swipe their Masonic membership cards near the time capsule just in case. Now, remember, if you ever fly through Denver International Airport, and I have, it's absolutely fucking gorgeous. I didn't spend any time checking any of this shit out because I really didn't know about it. I spent my time in the bar because there's one bar there with huge windows and you look out over the Rocky Mountains when it's in the wintertime and it's just an absolute gorgeous place. I missed a flight out of there because I was too busy drinking. Anyways, I digress. (laughs) But that's the theory about that. How about underground bunkers? 
They say there's underground bunkers, endless tunnels, and visits from lizard people. That's what we're going to talk about now. This is some other related legend that there are miles of underground tunnels and a layer upon layer of secret buildings and bunkers beneath the airport, which the mention of secret societies earlier, they plan to use to write out the coming apocalypse. Some claims have come from people that there's a tunnel that runs all the way from Denver to the North American Aerospace Defense Command called NORAD, which is located 100 miles away near Colorado Springs. Now, if you know anything about NORAD, they're the ones who track Santa for your kids every year. So if you have a kid and this year's December's coming up, Christmas is soon around the corner, just log in to NORAD and you can show them where Santa's at. Shows them flying over Australia and all them different places. It's amazing how fast that fucker could fly. But anyways, there's an underground tunnel, they say, runs 100 miles. Now, I don't necessarily doubt that. And the reason I say that is because I went to a place many, many moons ago, and I worked for the fire department called Mount Weather. This is some top secret place. I went there for a terrorist training thing post 9-11. Had to get like a FBI background check and all that shit to go there. And they have a tunnel, apparently. This is in Virginia, in the mountains of Virginia, that goes all the way to the White House, they say, an underground tunnel. President can travel all the way under it. Mount Weather, they evacuated Dick Cheney during 9-11. So to make a tunnel 100 miles without any problem, why couldn't you make a tunnel for 500 miles like Mount Weather? I believe that, okay? So easily there could be a tunnel that distance. Others suggest that the underground layer may be home to something supernatural, like fucking extraterrestrials or lizard people. After Jordan Peele's 2019 horror film Us premiered, I don't know if you've ever seen that film before. It's actually pretty good. Well, some of the Jordan Peele fans even believe that the tunnels beneath the airport could house a community of murderous doppelgangers ready to rise out from under the earth and take over the surface. Now, although the airport acknowledges that there are several subterranean levels beneath the main terminal, including the, the trains that carry passengers to and from different concourses and a long baggage system, I guess, they say the tunnels only extend out to the perimeter of the airport less than two miles. But again, two miles is a long ways underground. Who knows if they turn off left or right and go to the alien tunnels. They also insist that you're much more likely to meet mundane office workers than billionaires in ceremonial robes. Since some of the underground levels, I guess, host work in office spaces. I guess people work underground. That's got to be mundane. Like I said earlier, mundane office workers. And they're adamant. Any evidence of space aliens. Now get this. Any evidence of space aliens is just graffiti from mischievous employees. Some who have been known to don lizard masks to prank unsuspecting co-workers and members of the media. I mean, what kind of a business are you running where you allow your employees to 
spray graffiti on the walls and run around with fucking lizard masks on. Anyways, that's some of the crazy shit that's going on at Denver Airport. We could talk a lot about other shit op apocalyptic artwork. These weird mongoloid gargoyle type fucking things pulling their faces off. Could spend 30 minutes on that, but we're talking about planes, trains, and automobiles. So we're going to talk about trains next. But we're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque and experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. All right, thank you very much for Toyota and their sponsorship on that commercial. So now we were talking about planes, trains, and automobiles. Now we're talking about trains. Anybody know about Grand Central Terminal? It's in New York City, otherwise known as Grand Central Station. It's New York's most famous train station. More than 750,000 people visit Grand Central Station a day. Some people just to shop, some to eat. But most to hit the rails, get out of town. Beyond being a pulsating artery of New York City, the transit hub is also a spectacular work of architecture with an undeniable beauty and an incredible history. I've been there. I've seen it. It's absolutely amazing. I've never traveled on a train out of the station, but I went there because that's what you do if you're in New York City and you're near there. It opened in 1913. The station was designed by an architecture firm called Reed and Stern and some other company named Warren and Wetmore, but they're not the big builders. Anyways, it hasn't uh, always been the case that this building has been the same. It's changed three times. Grand Central as you see it now, is not the original building. Indeed, the terminal as it exists today is actually the third iteration of the structure. The original station was known as Grand Central Depot. It was built in 1871, served as a region's three major lines, but the city's rapidly growing population, population boom ultimately led to its demolition in 1900. Soon after, they built a six-story structure, replaced the depot, and it was renamed Grand Central Station. However, the design of Grand Central Station was flawed. The interior was not equipped to deal with the exhaust. The way it was built from steam-powered trains, conductors were often blinded by the smoke, unable to see the tracks. There was a lot of deadly accidents. Fifteen passengers died in one collision. The station was torn down in 1905 and was rebuilt and named Grand Central Terminal as it stays to this day. Now, again, a lot of theories behind Grand Central Station and all these myths. One of them is Nazis once tried to blow it up. When the station was constructed in 1913... Planners wanted to add a top-secret power substation beneath the terminal. They wanted to call it M42. 
the equipment they placed beneath the ground, excuse me, the equipment placed beneath the ground had the capacity to transfer it was 11,000 something volts of alternating current to the power trains, give the trains lots of power. The covert move proved to be extremely advantageous to the United States for this reason. When the United States entered World War II, they needed a way to quickly move troops and artillery without impediment. However, all was nearly destroyed, this whole concept, when the German spy, who worked in the basement of Grand Central, informed Adolf Hitler of the power station. Hitler sent his Nazis over on U-boats in the middle of the night, armed with an interesting weapon, sand. They threw sand into the rotating blades. They would have wiped the converters out, along with 80% of troop and supply movements, if it would have succeeded. Luckily, the Coast Guard spotted the spies, and the FBI nabbed them before they entered Grand Central. If you go back now and look at how history could have changed if the Nazis were able to do that and what would have happened to Grand Central Station and how it could have changed the war. Well, anyways. Donald Trump once owned the tennis court inside this station. Did you know that? We'll talk about Trump. Golden-haired idiot. After you get past the fact that there is not one but two tennis courts, hidden in Grand Central Terminal. You should then reveal in the fact that they are completely open to the public. A lot of people don't know this. They're known as the Vanderbilt Tennis Club. The space is housed in the annex of the station and includes one regulational size indoor hard court, one junior court, two practice lanes, and a fully equipped fitness room. The courts were originally built by Giza A. Gazdag in the 1960s, and Donald Trump took over in the 1980s. Among the stars who have hit a few balls here are John McEnroe, the Williams sisters, Venus and Serena, Neptune, Saturn, her other sisters, I guess. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Trump himself has even called the tennis courts one of the greatest secrets. Like I said, most people do not realize that there's... Now, try to get play a game of tennis in one of those tennis courts. It'll never happen. Anyways, there's a whispering gallery in the basement. You ever heard about this? Just outside the Grand Central Oyster Bar on the lower concourse are four arches joined by a curved ceiling that apparently together create a whispering gallery. Now, here's how it works. If one person stands at one corner and another at the opposite end and speaks at a normal volume, the other person will be able to hear everything said perfectly. And this is despite the fact that there are about 50 feet separating them. It's not clear if this acoustical effect is acoustical. There we go. This acoustical effect was intentional in design or if it just happened that way. It's called the whispering gallery because they say you can actually whisper very quietly and hear somebody 50 feet away perfectly. 
You know that Grand Central was almost demolished again in order to build a skyscraper? It's hard to believe that any modern mortal would consider demolishing something so architecturally splendid. Again, if you've ever been to this place, it'll just blow your mind. But that was in the case in 1950s. Developer planned to knock it down, and they were going to place it with what would have been the world's tallest skyscraper. They didn't do it. It was supposed to be 80-story, hourglass-shaped, futuristic tower known as the Hyperboloid. The plans were abandoned because the costs were too high and it never happened. And they say now that there's a jewel worth 10 plus million hidden in plain sight. Atop the information booth at the center of the terminal is a clock that features four faces made out of one solid piece of precious opal. In total, Sotheby's and Christie's, these are high-end uh, what do you call them? Uh, auctions. The whole thing is estimated to be worth 10 to $20 million. Now I'm going to give you a bonus secret inside that same info booth is a secret steel staircase shrouded by the cylindrical brass container that leads to the Lowell level information booth. So you can go down below. You're never going to see it. You're never going to go into it. They keep it locked. It's secret, secret for a reason, but it's there. So if you ever have the opportunity to go to Grand Central Station, think about all these things I told you. Take my podcast with you and listen to it before you go in there and go check all this shit out and see what you think about that, right? Now we're talking about automobiles and my buddy, John DeLorean. God, I love this guy when I was a kid. If anybody remembers Back to the Future, you remember John DeLorean only because you saw his car in there. Marty McFly took it back to the future. Let's talk about him for a minute, shall we? Now, most people are going to remember John DeLorean who listened to my podcast. But if you don't, he was a disgraced 80s auto mogul arrested for smuggling $24 million of cocaine. He invented that stainless steel no-rust car with the big doors that opened, known as DeLorean doors, famous. In 1965, at only the age of 40, he worked Chevrolet. It's where he was, a, he was a boss for Chevrolet. He became the youngest division head in General Motors history. I mean, the guy was an automotive engineer. He created cars like the Pontiac GTO, right? But DeLorean had the looks and lifestyle of a movie star. He was legendary automotive designer. He had great success at GM, but he decided he wanted to do something different. He wanted to break out on his own because he was a genius. In 1978, he started the DeLorean Motor Company in Northern Ireland. The British government, along with investors like Johnny Carson, Sammy Davis Jr., they actually paid the bulk of his startup costs to build his dream car, the DMC-12. It was a sports car like nothing anyone had ever seen before. You remember it. It was fucking amazing looking. It was stainless steel. 
The body was unpainted. Its doors opened up, not out, like giant Coke spoons. <laughs> we'll get to that later. Had a 130-horsepower Renault engine and can go from 0 to 60 in about 8 seconds, and that was fast back then. The problem is not too many people actually bought a DeLorean car. They were just way too expensive. Each one cost twenty five grand compared with ten thousand for the average car and eighteen thousand for a souped up Corvette back then. The company's financial troubles, DeLorean's attorneys argued, was a reason the FBI had been able to entrap him in the twenty four million dollar drug deal the authorities knew he would do. Anything to save his business. That's a whole other thing, the conspiracy theory of how he trapped him, but bottom line is he got busted. He was already, DeLorean was already just mirrored in legal problems by the time director Robert Zemix chose a DMC-12 to serve as Marty McFly's time machine and Back to the Future. They came to him and said, can we use your car? Boy, he thought that was just going to take him right out of the brink of destruction. And it was an amazing thing in the movie. Spielberg had originally planned to use an old refrigerator instead of a car, but he changed his mind at the last minute. The director liked the DeLorean's futuristic look, the way the doors opened. But more than that, he was worried that young fans of the movie might accidentally get stuck in refrigerators and freezers while playing make-believe. I mean, fuck, kids die every year getting in refrigerators and stuff and freezers that people leave on their curbs. You know you're supposed to take the doors off of those things, but I digress. Anyways, while the DeLorean's instant celebrity did not do much to revive his creator's fortunes, old DeLorean was still broke, it did grant him a permanent footnote in pop culture history. But that all came crashing down on October 19, 1982. The automaker John DeLorean is arrested and charged with a conspiracy to obtain and distribute 55 pounds of cocaine. DeLorean was acquitted of the drug charges. They say the FBI set him up. But his legal woes were only beginning. Hussein went on trial for fraud over the next two decades, was forced to pay millions of dollars to creditors and lawyers. DeLorean occupies an important place in automotive history. He definitely does, thanks to his starring role in the 1985 film Back to the Future. His gullwing sports car is one of the most famous cars in the world. But at twenty-five grand, you can't afford it, and he got wrapped up in selling drugs and selling cocaine because he had to try to get out of his lifestyle that he was in, which was going downhill. But John DeLorean is an amazing guy who had a talent in the future, and everybody on the planet Earth remembers the DeLorean vehicle. That's our episode for today, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I hope you enjoyed it. Sorry it took so long, like I said, to get another one out. Anyways, one final commercial from our sponsors who I really appreciate. And we'll talk to you again next week. Peace out, everybody. Have a happy November. Have a great Thanksgiving.